Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Tom, what ingredients are in your mystery box? Lots of mushrooms, some greens, like uh, let's let's call it arugula. I'm just thinking of like a goat cheese salad with like some mushrooms and sun-dried tomatoes and maybe throw in some lamb. What else is on yours? I, you know, mine are just so mismatched. I got a scallop in there. I'm with you. I like good earthy mushrooms. I love stone fruit. So give me a plum or a pluot. <laughs> and you know what I love is some burrata cheese. And I don't know how the hell you do that with scallops, but we're going to figure it out. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, our rewatch season six is over. This is the last episode. We are at the finale been a fascinating kind of time capsule look at our favorite reality program and also just a look at just a heavyweight group of chefs in the finale uh sort of a classic so by the way though not a flawless finale though i mean no one no one no one got an aa plus but exciting nonetheless a really good litmus test of, of sort of where the series was and where it's come from thoughts um, great to have Toby Young back. Oh, definitely. He's so good. Um, everything he says, I just write it down because it's such a, it's just, he's, he's got a way with his words and his, uh, his, his rhetoric. Everything is just on point. I love listening to He's very to him. pungent. He's very pungent. I have it written down here, uh, a flavor bomb that detonated in your mouth. And I was like, oh, it's just great. Um, Toby Young's back. I did a scorecard. Did you do a scorecard for the I did a scorecard and I, and I'm very curious to, I have some analysis. I have theories. Uh, I, I'm going to be presumptuous and assume Tom that like me, the score didn't necessarily produce the outcome I was expecting. Me too. Me too. I, we'll get to I, that. yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, but we did a scorecard I have some thoughts about um, what it means to be top chef mm-hmm. and how awesome it was to see the four finalists um, in the finale, the two-part finale, Jen, Kevin, Brian, and Mike. Um, it was really exciting to see them go at each other, but I'm, I'm right with you. I thought actually the last episode, the penultimate episode, had the better plates of food than this final episode which uh, was still a, a pretty good. But, you know, with the little curves and detours that they had, the little curveballs that they throw, as they always do in the finales, um, I was surprised at how close this finale was. And this was a very winnable game from the very beginning. Yeah, I, I think it could have been, you know, one fix from either runner-up, and you might have had a different outcome uh, because it wasn't flawless. First comment from early in the show, I did not have Brian Voltaggio is like a hunter of game that he eats. <laughs> Very big surprise. Big surprise for me on the show is, you know, one of those like, like, you know, bow hunters. And I just imagine him out there, you know, hell, he'll cook the venison, but but damn it, he's going to kill it to, 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 to get it. Well, I think I remember, correct me if I'm wrong. Kevin Gillespie said that he once went hunting with Brian Voltaggio. Like he told us this on, on pack your knives. And I made the joke like, Oh, that's right. 
did he laugh and scare all the animals away? Because that, that, that distinctive laugh that he has. Um, and I didn't know, I thought I had kind of assumed that Kevin introduced that to him, but it sounds like Brian Voltaggio is, is a hunter of game. That's right. I do now remember that on our Kevin episode, um, that, that he did go hunting with Brian. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm just, again, it just, it, it, it surprised me then, uh, probably. And it surprised me now, but that, that was thing, uh, you know, what do we, uh, you know, it, it is strange. I don't say strange. I, I do appreciate the, the wide scope that is the finale for course dinner. Um, I always miss quick fire when it's not there though. And, uh, you know, it wasn't there. Yeah. I, I actually thought of that. I thought of you, what we said on the last episode is how, you know, debating the merits of, of quick fires in terms of determining who is the top chef. And Michael Voltaggio kind of spelled it out here saying, Hey, my brother, Brian, he still hasn't won a quick fire. And I bet he, uh, he's missing that money right now. Um, alluding to the fact that he had a big fat zero in the column for quick fires. And I guess the motivation is just purely financial for a lot of these um, quick fires. Just like that's a, that's a lot of money, um, you know, 15,000 or 10,000 or 20,000, especially when you consider that Kevin Gillespie was saying that like 40,000 or $30,000 prize is, is more than he makes, a, you know, a year as a chef or, or close to it. So um, right off the bat with no quick fires in the finale, they introduce the menu program. One, it's going to be a three-course meal. The first course is going to be a mystery box, which sounds like this was the maybe the the beginnings of Chopped. Like, like I don't think Chopped totally stole this idea of like mystery box ingredients and go cook the best meal, but it kind of is a Chopped thing, right? Is here are some ingredients, make the best dish, guys. Yeah, I kind of like the challenge. I mean, as you know, I'm not normally somebody who gets into the oh, the restraint and the rules and the the the, the curveballs. At the end of the day, when you get into kind of the final few, I just want to see him cook with very little, uh, very few parameters. But you know, rockfish crab. Tell me if I'm, I'm missing anything. Kabocha squash, matsutake mushroom, and Meyer lemon. By the way, I would say like five ingredients I happen to love. Um, I think I was as taken back as Kevin was in terms of, I mean, there were just, I mean, I, I think it's like any four of those you can do something with, but like, if you do all five, it gets a little weird. And I was just really curious to see what they would do with it and was actually not surprised that, that, that Michael Voltaggio sort of did the best work with the, um, kind of creating something out of this bizarre collection right. of, of items. Yeah. And I want to just rewind just a bit here because I think before we get into the box, the mystery right, right. box ingredients, there was a little bit of a, a draft, kind of not a draft. It wasn't a draft actually. It was just a random selection of of sous chefs. And I actually found this to be You love this. You love no. picking You love picking teams on the schoolyard. Yeah, I do. But I, I, they didn't do that. They just right, picked they random knives and I wanted to see, Kevin, you're absolutely right. I love the whole schoolyard aspect of it is I want to know when Michael Voltaggio wants to cu- create a staff to w- win top chef, who are his two sous chefs? And I didn't get that. We didn't get that. And so what we did get was just a random drawing and maybe there's some fairness in the randomness of it is that, hey, how are we going to determine who gets first pick or second pick or third pick? And we've learned in the past 
that's kind of a, a curse, not a blessing to get the first pick in some ways. Um, I would have much rather to see, you know, Kev working with Eli, his buddy, or Brian or Michael working with, with Jen again. We did see Brian get Jen, but what did you think about that? Um, that that kind of not a gimmick, but that little thing there where they pulled knives to find their it was just random. Chefs. It was completely random. Um, so a couple things. I mean, one I think is to remember, and that's not necessarily the case here, but the best remaining chefs or the best sort of eliminated chefs aren't always the best sous chefs. On season after season, one of the things we've seen is sometimes there's some middling top chef contestants. Who are great sous chefs? Because what sous chef, you're basically you're prepping, you're prepping, you're doing some very fundamental tasks um, that that by the way require zero creativity, a hundred percent execution, and good time management, right? Like so, uh, frankly, I mean, I think there have been, and I, I'm, I'm not recalling specifically, but I think there are times where you know, frankly, your 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 creative fifth place winner is actually a lesser sous chef than one of your bottom three who. Frankly, because they haven't been an executive chef for the last four years and have been on the line more recently are much better at chopping. So I do think there is a sense that that we look at it as, oh, congratulations, got got Jen or whoever. And and I'm sure Jen's a a wonderful sous chef, but I'm saying I don't know that there's always a correlation between uh, place of finish and elimination and usefulness as a sous chef. But I'm with you in the sense that I kind of like when they get to pick their friends. There's something warmer about the episode. There's mm-hmm. something more team-oriented. Yes, I know we got a douse of conflict because Kevin just, you know, Preeti was was slow or not satisfactory to, to Kevin's specifications or couldn't take on very much. So I, I know it introduced some nice conflict in that if you're someone looking for a little static and frankly an episode that generally is devoid of a lot of conflict because we are at the end and these guys are so good and and you know whatever else but but I'm with you like I like there to be a little something and by the way it could be you pick one of your own and then your opponents pick the other one or something that that would be a fun <laughs> way to go right but yes. but I'm with you but I, I also think there is a you know like for instance I think Ash might have been a great sous chef because he was, he was it seemed yeah, yeah. he's won 15 tasks so it's not always a correlation it looks like frankly eli you know might have bricked one of his you know specific tasks even though he was the last guy eliminated right and i i think with preeti kevin was given a little bit of a a disadvantage going into this because of just the randomness of that and and you know what maybe them's the breaks right um, but it did seem like he was in a funk here. So when he was trying to come up with his mystery box, uh, you know, his 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 dish, he was really in a funk. Um, and I was surprised by it. Usually he has so much confidence in who he is, what he does. You know, I thought Kevin was really shaken here on this episode in ways that we we hadn't seen before, really. Yeah, I mean, I think you could argue that her slowness like to me it's less the box and more and i I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but i think you know the fact that the pork belly wasn't sufficiently cooked that suggests to me uh, a time issue and that might have been precipitated by having to kind of look over the shoulder of sous chefs and have to do a lot of the stuff yourself that you otherwise would farm out to a sous chef but i mean you know with the box and kevin i don't know that it was necessarily okay he was thrown i do think you know, I, I think his style of cooking 
is kind of less amenable to here's a piece of rockfish and a matsutake. I mean, as he said, look, I've eaten his food. I haven't seen any matsutake. It's not an ingredient. Yeah. You know, it's an ingredient that a more delicate chef would, would work with, right? Like that's a home that's a home game ingredient for Brian Baltaggio and a road ingredient for Kevin Gillespie. Right? For sure. And, and I think, yeah. But anyway, so I, I, it is interesting. I, mean, I, I would have preferred less randomness because I just think they're I, – I, I think you love looking at game theory. You know, we both love sort of the social dynamics around having to judge your fellow contestants and what that says about the chef selecting and, and sort of the, the ego issues involved with not being the last kid picked for the, for the kickball team. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I'm with you there. So they get the mystery box, first course. Second course, anything they want to make. Third course is dessert. Were you kind of like, that doesn't seem sufficient there. There's some other curveball coming. Right, yeah, because it's like, I don't remember there only being three. You know, yeah. like, I always thought four was sort of the standard um, with this group. Or I thought maybe they'd go in, well, oh, and you'll do a moose-bouche or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't see the family thing coming. You know, there weren't a lot of family stuff this, this season, um, but here they introduced it. Yeah, they did. Um, the moms came, and of course, with the Voltaggio brothers, they share a mom. So that must have been awkward for her. Um, you literally were asked to pick between your your two sons which one you like better. Their dishes. Um, that's that was really difficult. Um, it was good to see. Uh, I liked seeing Kevin's mother kind of tell him, you know take Southern food and make it fabulous. That was pretty cool. Like you can make that a tagline for one of his restaurants. Um, and it was good to see Kevin kind of have that doubt and then have his mother, you know, kind of in a very nurturing way, talk him up. Um, the dishes they came up with, Kevin, curious, what dish would you make or remake, reinvent from a childhood memory of your mother? So, uh, and we talked about it a little bit a couple of um, episodes ago when we talked about blintzes. And my yeah. father actually who listens to this uh, – my father's interesting because I I don't think he watches season six, but he listens to every Pack Your Knives, which which to me is, is, uh, is funny. But he reminded me that the real secret to the, the, the Rosh Hashanah meat blintz was that after you did it, you fried it in the pan. So to oh. me, I would have done the meat and kind of the meat stuffed meat blintz with and fried. And I would have kind of, I think, gussied it up a little bit, you know, rather than just a plain sour cream, maybe kind of a, you know, a, a, an herbal sour cream that would have uh, accentuated the or a beet sour cream would have been great with the sort of uh, ground beef and onion uh, kind of uh, flavor. But I would have done a meat blintz. Well, I didn't even know what a blintz was a few weeks ago, but now I'm – And now I'm, look at you. You're fully initiated in Jew food. I just want a hundred blintzes. That's what I want. I want to eat uh, your dad's inspired blintz uh, with with rote, uh, with beet sour cream, did you say? Yeah, I think I, I would do beet sour cream. Kind of. I think that okay. would be a really nice – rather than beautiful. just plain old breakstone or whatever it's called, um, that good sour cream from when I was a kid. But uh, I, yeah, I'd so what would you do? do? I'd probably do uh, what my family calls the Haberstrossage. <laughs> it's a, it's um, a dish that we found in Brazil when I was like the first four years of my life. I lived in Brazil, Sao Paulo, and 
we would go to these churrascarias and just eat a ton of meats, right? It's, you know, the gr- green card, red card, whatever. You, it, they're super fun to go to, right? Yes. Well, there's this one dish that my dad made inspired by that, which is just hot sausage grilled and diced with lime and oregano. And it's just like the best quick appetizer meal. Probably dress it up a little bit more than that, but it is so good. I actually did a little cooking video on YouTube on the Count the Dings channel doing my recipe um, if you want to watch that. So I would probably do some version of that because it is not only uh, an homage to my childhood in Brazil, but also I think um, it's not a Greek dish. Which maybe I should think about doing. A I, I was surprised. I was about to say I, I, I thought you'd do some sort of uh, uh, like the habermetza. That, that's yeah, what I was, that's what I was sort of expecting. Of, thing about that, Kevin, is I didn't eat too. I didn't eat much Greek food growing up until I got a little bit older when my dad started really embracing our Greek heritage because his father passed away, his Greek father passed away when my dad was two. And so like a lot of going to see the relatives in Lowell, Massachusetts um, came a little bit later. And he, when we got older and started, um, you know, getting through high school and college and becoming more in touch with our, our history, our family history, that's when I started eating a lot more Greek food. So there wasn't anything intrinsic to my childhood with Greek food that like, I, I always think about like my, my childhood, we ate a lot of like spaghetti ragu pasta. Like that was it. Um, my mom wasn't big on making uh, elevated food because it was just a matter of volume is just get as much food to feed these four kids as possible. in in, in such short amount of time. So it was more of a factory than it was a restaurant. Um, so like I, I would have done that and it was cool to see the Voltagios kind of go in two different directions here. And it always reminds me is that, you know, with my daughters, they're very different. Um, and it's very clear that Brian Voltaggio and Michael Voltaggio had very different tastes as kids. And Michael Voltaggio hated broccoli. He hated everything apparently, but especially hated broccoli. Are there any and kids I, who don't hate broccoli? I hated broccoli. I see the problem with broccoli is everyone – they just steam it or boil it. It's right. terrible. Throw it in the oven, burn it to a crisp, and it's delicious. I love yes. that um, roasted broccoli now. We sit, we serve it to uh, Madeline and Molly, and they, they eat that stuff up. I think it's all about preparation, Kevin. Yeah. I mean no one knew how to roast vegetables back in the day. You're right. Everybody just steamed their vegetables, and that was it. Put it in the colander, bleh, and it's just uh, – it was yeah. bright green, but it was just unpalatable. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering about the decision to put the shrimp in that dish, Kevin. What do you think about that? I mean, I think if he nailed the spot prawn, it would have been fine. But is that hard you know, to I mean, do? I think, yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, it's Michael Voltaggio. Um, yeah. I mean, chefs do it all the time. I mean, I'm kind of funny because I love undercooked shrimp, as I love undercooked everything. Uh, <laughs> except I don't like undercooked vegetables, right? Like, I, I want my, I, I want my vegetables to be overcooked, and I want my, um, my, my, my proteins to be undercooked. But I think if he nailed the pro, the, the spot prawn, it would have been fine. Um, I thought the interesting risk taker was sort of the sardine, uh, but uh, Brian nailed it. Yeah, yeah, I thought it would have been fishy, um, but he he nailed it just like his mother said. Um, I was a little worried about that. Uh, then Kevin, well, something else about that, real quick, yeah, um, is you know I'm always looking for pointers and like panko, like fried panko breadcrumbs as a kind of an an additive of texture onto a dish. Like I'm going to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Like when I have kind of a a fleshy dish that needs some crunch, like or even a salad, I've already I'm in, I've been thinking about those fried panko uh, panko breadcrumbs since I watched this episode. And what can I do with them? And like maybe I should just toast up a whole bunch and put them in a canister in my pantry and just ha- be able to unleash them. You know, because like one of the things I do is I love the burrata tomato salad. And uh, we're about to be done with heirlooms right now. So uh, soon it'll be retired in my house. But, you know, there's always the thing that like you need a little – it's a mushy dish. It's delicious. But like the tomatoes are so soft and ripe. And one of the things that uh, – here's looking at you. Uh, may it rest in peace in Los Angeles, one of my favorite restaurants. They do that kind of dish with like a dried, crunchy Chinese sausage where they just dehydrate it and it becomes essentially like crunch. Mm. And now I'm thinking, okay, I got to get busy with these panko breadcrumbs. You're right. That sounds really good. And I, I don't know what a tuna noodle casserole even is. Is it just a tuna? Like, wait, you've never had tuna? tuna noodle? Oh, yeah. It's like it's like t- tuna surprise, I think people used to call it. Really? Oh, yeah. Tuna surprise. And it's just like, I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's like tuna mac and cheese sort of but not really it's like a tuna kugel in my world it's tuna surprise okay okay that makes sense and it was one of those dishes that i think was retired in 1983 when the country started realizing it it, you could you could actually cook food so the kevin comes in with the southern fried chicken skin Mm. oh my god kevin that that was my maybe my favorite little dish there Oh, of the, the day without question uh by the way skin in general is delicious we made um i i pan seared some salmon last night and like you get that skin i didn't get it as crispy as i wanted it um but there's nothing better than skin in oh. general like like even when you get the um when you get the pulled pork and you just get like a little bit of the skin the pork skin oh, yeah. Or even like we we just did a we just did a chicken the other night and I was carving up the chicken and I did that sneaky thing where like I look around the house and making sure mm-hmm. Allison doesn't see and I'm like I just rip off like a huge sheet of chicken skin and just eat yeah, it up and, and the and the trick is you just if you're doing it if you're roasting the last five or ten minutes really five I mean you just crank up the heat right at the end and you get that crispy skin oh. every time. And it's just it, – it, it's – yeah, I, I'm always forever picking off the skin. And uh, and the other thing know. is if you pick off the skin, it doesn't really stay well. So like I always conv- – I always tell myself – I do this little mind trick where I'm like, hey, you better eat the skin now because if you're doing leftovers, the skin ain't going to be nearly as good. No. So get the fresh skin now and then you know just get rid of the other parts. I um I love this dish, especially the 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 fresh tomato. I this this had my name written all over it. Um, and after the round one, Kevin, uh, who do you think had the the best dish? Oh, I mean, I, I, I don't even think it was it was debatable. I mean, Kevin won hands down. I have here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they absolutely. And it wasn't just the fried chicken skin; it's that it, within this squash. And squash is squashy, right? Like you can do like a rosemary, brown butter. You can doll it up a little bit, but it's hard to really introduce too much into squash. He somehow got these citrus notes in his squash, which I think in terms of sophistication, and that's always Kevin's cross to bear, is I think everyone in, in that judge's table always admires his cooking. But it's like 
can you surprise us a little bit? Mm. You know, and by surprise, not like, oh, you took simple ingredients and made them shine. I mean, like, can you really kind of come out, you know, and throw an off-speed pitch? Um, and they love that. But I mean, I don't know about your scorecard, but I had Kevin hands down. Would you have? So I had Kevin, and what I did was I did three, two, one, three meaning the winner two in the middle and then won the worst dish. So I actually scored it. Kevin wins with three, Brian Voltaggio with two. Mm-hmm. And then Michael, because he didn't cook the, um, the, the prawn correctly, I gave him third place on that. So he got one point. I mean, I think it is important. And maybe this is where you and I, uh, probably got different results. In, we got the same results, but different than the judges is, you know, I wonder for a scoring system like this, if you distribute 10 points, Right. Because if in certain courses, the one was way out front and two and three were bunched or three was way bottom. And it's like, I wonder if you went to like, like to me, is this a five, three, two or is it a, you know, you know what I'm saying? Or is it a six, three, one? Yep. I mean, I know I'm complicating things here and, and never do math. Uh, as our friend Rachel Nichols, I mean, never do math on the on the show when you're kind of thinking aloud. But um, I wonder there because I just felt like Kevin was way out in front, like they had nothing at all critical to say about his dish. Whereas, you know, apparently Brian, according, you know, when he got to the judges table, there was there was too much restraint. There was no contrast in the textures. Uh, Gail dinged him on that. And then, you know, Michael got the uh, undercooked protein, which is always yep. a killer. So I have it three, two, one. Um, t- so Kevin not only has the most wins in the elimination challenge going into this episode, he wins the first dish hands down. So he's got a pretty substantial lead in terms of big picture. Um, if we're looking at the past going into the second dish. Now, the second dish is going to be a wait before before we do that. They kicked the moms out, Kevin. What was that about? My interpretation. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This is the freaking finale. Have your no, fun with your folks. They raised Get them at. the kids. They well, also, raised also, these kids. All right, but like, how do you? I mean, listen. <laughs> I think it would have been great television to have Toby Young just eviscerating these chefs Lash in front of their parents. Yeah. But like, I think that just becomes, uh, you think you they're protecting I, them? You I think, think they should have brought the him. They should have brought him back for dessert. Okay. Bring him back for dessert. But I mean, I think they're protecting the moms. I mean, do you really want to hear Toby young eviscerate your son on national television? I That's, don't know. I mean, but, it could have gotten may- messy and ugly. You know what? Maybe it's the other thing. Maybe it's Toby Young will be more reticent to say those things. In front I don't of want Toby Red- Young to be reticent. Exactly. I mean, look, Maybe that's the that's the real issue, right, Kevin. I, I mean, confession. I don't mind. I loved the. Remember the challenge we had where the, um, you know, the family members and that phone thing this season from season seventeen, where they had to sort of call their <laughs> chef, significant other or their significant their, others their, who are in the kitchen. Yeah. I like that. I like it if there's like a little fun and games. I mean, I think the truth is, is most of us don't need the schmaltz. I mean, oh, I like seeing here. these people. Let's put it this way. I think a, a, a challenge like that, basically, or, or a feature like that, bringing the moms, it does something for six people on the planet and maybe their loved ones. And for the other well, million just, of us who are watching the show, frankly, like, I just want to see Toby Young. I, I, I don't... I'm I'm a sourpuss, man. Like I love my family. Uh, it would mean a lot to me if I were a contestant to have my family. But I gotta tell you, it's not very good television. It just isn't, Tom. But just like, leave them there. You don't no, even think, they don't have to no, do anything. Just have no. them there. I want and- chefs being bitchy chefs 
I want them saying that this is the date blind date I don't want to go on. And I and I just think that because they're generally good people, these these judges, they're not going to say that in front of a mom. They're just not. Right. As it was, they had to sort of hold back. Like, in fact, one of the re- it's like I didn't realize that Brian Voltaggio's texture was was lacking in that first dish until they got very into the episode. Uh, right. Which is nothing wrong with that. I don't mind having the reveal that, oh, actually, we didn't really like your dish, um, but we didn't want to insult, um, you know, your son or your mom by by saying that your sardine was one note. Right. Like, I, I just think that, like, I don't I just think that the over-reliance on family stuff. I know you want to create personal stories around these people. I do think their personal journeys as chef is something I enjoy. Like I really enjoy, I enjoy the challenges where you have to kind of make something that was inspired by your family. I don't need them there. Okay. Okay. You heartless. I am. I'm a heartless prick. Okay. Cause I was like, they just booted them from the their finale. I mean, because here's was, the thing. If my mom's there, she's going to ask – first of all, if my mom's there, she's not going to touch that sardine. Okay? I mean, <laughs> so she's just not. I mean, my mom is not going to touch that sardine. Like, my mom is a 69-year-old Jewish woman who's well-kept, okay? She's not touching that fried chicken skin. She's not. <laughs> all right? Like, like my mom is not – I mean, no, she would do it for you if it meant she would put on a good face – and she would say, that's the best damn chicken skin. And I love chicken skin. That's the best damn ch- chicken skin I've ever had in my life. She would put on a show for you, Kevin, because she wanted to see your, her son win. I mean, I think she could have gotten into Michael's, you know, because you had a little broccoli and you had sort of a, a spot prawn. I don't think she would have been worried that it's undercooked. But like, like the truth is, is uh, my mom would have been merely tolerating all okay. of that food. Fine, I'll, I'll concede. Uh, second dish was the uh, mystery box, correct? Yes, the mystery box with the rockfish and the mm-hmm. uh, mushroom. Um, let's let's just breeze through this one real quick. I I thought Kevin really struggled with the mushroom, like he's, you brought mm-hmm. up earlier, and Michael did something really smart. I mean, that sweet and sour crab salad. He um, didn't he shave like that mushroom really da- down and then fry it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because it, it it is this. It's not something that. It's something that requires. It's a really earthy mushroom, and it just it requires some real prep. Like it really requires some finesse, mm. and you know, it, it was very smart. And what the other thing that was smart about it is. He went sweet and sour. So now the earthiness, I think, is complimentary, right? Like, a mu- like I, I think you and I will eat mushrooms on their own. They can just be in garlic and butter, and you, you and I are happy as clams. But, um, you know, I, I thought that Michael – like, Michael – so I think the problem was this. Kevin looked at the mystery box and said, oh, God, there are five ingredients I have to integrate, which is totally normal. That's how I would have done it. Michael looks at it and says, okay, I'm going to get four or five flavor profiles on this plate. Which ingredients can kind of play that role? I'm not going to worry about what these things do to each other. I'm going to create sweet and sour out of the crab. Okay, now I need some earthiness, right? Like, okay, I need some delicateness. Okay, dashi. I'm going to glaze the rock this in dashi. Like, this was one of those challenges that kind of just accentuated Michael Voltaggio's ingenuity. It just did. And, like, that's the difference. I think – Looking at the thing, okay, what do I do with these five things and put them together versus 
I'm not going to worry about the five things. I'm going to think about flavors, and then I'm going to figure out how to conform or not conform, as it were, how to utilize these ingredients in that capacity. And Michael killed it. I mean, it. I, I gave him three on this, and then I gave Kevin a two and Brian a one. So Michael did best, Kevin did middle, and then Brian finished last. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I kind of – Brian and Kevin I had kind of probably very close to one another. I, it, it is not lost on me that they like they loved Kevin's fish, right? And I think that it was if not – I mean, let's put it this way, Tom. If not for that mushroom – I mean, we have had an entirely different conversation. Is yeah. has Top Chef history just completely <laughs> different? I mean, if not for that mushroom, Tom. I mean, that like that will be the runners on second and third and no out didn't score inning and and Kevin Gillespie. If not for that mushroom, we might be having he wouldn't have been on All Star seventeen because he would have been a champion. Right. I think it's very possible, Tom. I'm looking at this, and if Mike Volta, one of Michael's great attributes of that dish was the mushroom, and I kind of feel like if that mushroom wasn't even involved, you're right, that gap would have been mitigated. So mm-hmm. going in um, to this third course, I have Kevin with five well, points. Uh, let's Michael- talk about Brian Montaggio real quick. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I, just real quick. Um, I thought Gail's comment was interesting. She said Brian played it safe. Uh, it, it's an interest. I don't think of him. I didn't think of him as a guy who plays it safe. I think his safe playing is more about flavor than it is about execution and technicality. It's a different kind of play it safe than Kevin Gillespie gets dinged with sometimes, but it wasn't, it, it, I thought it was an interesting observation from Gail. And we'll talk about more of this dynamic later because it, yeah. it, it kind of unified a theory of top chef for me. Very good. Um, so we go to the third course, which is do whatever that F you want. Yep. And this is kind of what we get in the finale is we get these cooks, these chefs who come up with these ideas um, in their own restaurants or in their past, and they know they will nail this dish. So came out strong. Brian Voltaggio does this venison with the Brussels sprouts. Um, Michael does the qua- this, the fennel scented squab. Not fennel-infused or fennel squab, the fennel-scented squab. Um, And Kevin hits us with, of course, the slow-roasted pork belly dish. Um, Which of those three dishes, Kevin, would you most like to eat? Because those are their – they're almost their essential dishes that really uh, encapsulates who they are as a chef. Like which would I have ordered if it were just before I even saw them? Yes. that's, That's easy as hell. Fennel scented squab breast with pistachio cassoulet and textures of mushrooms. Are you kidding me? It's like three of my favorite things, game birds, pistachios, and mushrooms. And then he's doing it. So you just know. And by the way, I love fennel. I know you have to rule this one out because as cilantro is to me, fennel is to you. I hate cilantro too, but fennel's right there. With I can't do the licorice thing. Can't do it. So I would I would have not done Michael Voltaggio's dish. Um, but that doesn't mean it couldn't have been good. I just man the the slow roasted pork belly, the decadence of that is always always a big thing in my book. And then Brian Voltaggio's venison looked so perfectly cooked, mm-hmm. and they said it was super well seasoned. This one was by far to me, Kevin, the hardest one to grade. I don't know. 
like I had it as Brian. I'm not going to say going away like the first course with Kevin, but you had a chef saying this mushroom-shaped mushroom puree that Michael Voltaggio was a total gimmick. You know, Gail didn't like the texture of the cassoulet. And there was nothing but love for Brian until like, you know, one of the judges at the very end was sort of like, yeah, it was all perfect, but it didn't wow me. Yeah. Right. Which I get. I get. I mean, and and I want to talk about that later, that theme later. But I had it as strong, Kevin. And that was what really I thought was confusing about this. Uh, You had a strong Brian Voltaggio win? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I had it. I scribbled it down as um, as Michael winning this one three two Brian. Wait, make and then, make your case. I didn't really take too much stock in the whole gimmick aspect of the mushroom in a mushroom. Um, I thought that was the biggest um, critique of that dish, and I didn't really I didn't really find it to be all that compelling as a negative. Now Brian Voltaggio didn't have a strong negative on that, but I do think that um, the squab the fennel scented squab was actually. Uh, more complex than what Brian Voltaggio gave. And I just felt like in terms of difficulty, I gave that edge to Michael Voltaggio. And then, Kevin, after watching the judges' table and hearing it back and forth, I switched my vote from Michael to Brian Voltaggio. So I actually gave Brian a three, Michael a two, and then Kevin a one here. But I actually had it flipped for a little bit there. And now that you're mentioning it, there was seem to be heavily um, more positives for for Brian rather than his little brother. If I'm counting your scoring system, am I right, Tom, that each chef comes into the dessert course with six points? That is true. So, I mean, basically, it's a tie game going into dessert, which is, a, by the way, an away game for everybody. Um, do we want to mention uh, Kevin's protein really quick? Um the pork belly. By the way, Kevin is the most politely defiant judges chopping block contestant ever. And we'll talk a little more about that with the chopping block, but he, like he insisted that he nailed it. Um, it was interesting. The critique was not just that, okay, the pork belly wasn't perfect, but they wanted two ways, which by the way, sort of defies the sort of old rule of top <laughs> chef. You know, and it's funny. I mean, one of the interesting things, Tom, is how different the kind of code and parameters of the finale are from, let's say, week five, right? We sit here just ridiculing chefs that are gullible enough to fall for the old, I'm going to go two ways. And we're like, what are you doing? It doubles the chances you're going to, you know, and that's what's beautiful when you get to the finale is all of a sudden ambition is rewarded. Um, It's not a liability. It can be, I mean, theoretically, but you're not going to win without some ambition. And I thought to hear, you know, to hear Tom, who so many times has said, you didn't need to do it two ways, you know, just like just do, do it, it one way. way. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Right. Like that's been a, kind of a colloquialism. Um, but when it comes to seeing people who profess to be top chefs, like to be world beaters, now he wants to see that you can do two ways. But anyway, I, I, that that to me that was, was a surprise. Telling. I found that to be a little bit of an exception rather than the rule. I was surprised that Tom went there. So you know, we're tied. Yeah, we're tied, man. It is – I mean, would you agree that it's pretty even going into the final course here? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 even watching the show, I'm like, 
this is anybody's ball game. I mean, Kevin won the first course. Even if you just do, hey, who wins first? You got to each win. You only get credit for winning. Michael won second. Brian won third. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had it. I had it pretty much tied. Sixes all the way across the board going mm-hmm. into the fourth at the fourth quarter here. Clock is winding down. They got the dessert course. Brian Voltaggio does this sweet sheep's milk with dulce leche, dulce leche cheesecake. Holy shit, that sounds good. By the way, easily the thing I would have ordered. Oh, like, I love cheesecake. Ten times out of take. And fig sorbet. I love figs. Dry, by the way, fig might be in my mystery box. Uh, dried caramel, a sheep's milk cheese. I love like a cheese dessert. I am a cheese plate guy, but I love when you can kind of work it in. I mean, it was easily the most appetizing to me uh, on the menu. Yeah, and Kevin goes with like the chocolate bacon dish. Um, Michael Voltaggio does a, a chocolate coulant. I don't. What is a coulant? I think it's like one of those little like I think it's like a cakey. I mean, I don't know. It's like a cakey. I, I usually know. I'm not a big dessert guy. Like I'm not good with my yeah. dessert terminology. Um, I, I, I think it's just it's a little cake. I mean, I I you know a, a, a readers or a listener is going to need to to. Uh, get us on that but yeah, I, I think it, it's like a little cake it it's looks supposed like to be oozing with, from the middle i think yeah yeah that's what i got um and with the butternut squash ice cream um look kevin i don't know about you but i kind of scored this as a brian voltaggio win yes i mean i don't think it was close at the end of the day i know you know gail kept saying and i wonder if it was kind of a justification for the ultimate final vote that yeah, Michael kind of his 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 main element was dry and didn't do what it was supposed to do. Yet I love the flavors, and I just don't think that is sufficient to top a contestant who looks like pretty much nailed it. Nailed the sorbet, had the creativity to combine sort of I wouldn't say cheese is savory, but certainly unsweet with sweet. Um, wonderful complimentary caramel components. I just don't know how anybody scores that as anything other than a Brian Voltaggio win. It's just weird to me. It is. And let's get into the whole debate about Brian Voltaggio's cooking and the theory of Top Chef. I'll just give you this. Toby Young straight up gave him a little bit of a backhanded compliment is basically saying to Brian and it caught him really off guard is your very identity of a chef is restraint. And Brian Voltaggio looks back at him and says, "That's I don't see that as a weakness. Right. So what do you make of that, Kevin? Look, I think – you know how Tom in, in baseball, like every ballpark is different and Fenway will ever for, forever advantage right-handed power hitters and poor left-handed power hitters have to go out to the triangle way the hell out there. And, and there are certain ballparks that will always reward – certain kinds of players over others. And I think what we saw on Top Chef is it was present in season six, and I think it's been present the entire way. They rewarded Michael Voltaggio for his ambition and punished Brian for his restraint. Um, It was a fundamental criticism they had, by the way, with Kevin too, for different reasons, right? Like Kevin's sin is not restraint, it's quote, simplicity. And at the end of the day, on Top Chef, especially when he gets to the later rounds, what they want – technicality actually at a certain point, which I think technicality is the most important thing in weeks one through ten. I think more important than creativity. But 
as contestants peel off, it is very clear to me that what this show will do is it will reward ambition, creativity, and innovation over any other skills, especially when it comes to a finale. Like they, who do they want being top chef? And by the way, I think the show is very vested in who these chefs are. Like a person who wins top chef, who was named top chef for the next 30 years is going to run around the world being essentially an ambassador for the show. The quality of their cooking is going to be traced back to that show. You know, they want to be, it's sort of like these are the chefs that were drafted by Tom Colicchio and Padma and Gail, you know. And so they want these chefs to go out into the world. If they're going to have the top chef seal of approval, they better have that sort of wit. I also counted four, tell me if I'm wrong here and help me out. To me, there are four general of quote events or categories that top chef judges or contestants get judged on in a given challenge. One is technicality. Two we'll call creative slash ambition slash innovation. Three is flavor. And four, and I don't know if this is with technicality, but I do think it's a different kind of thing, is execution. Right? You can be a really good technical chef and not execute your protein, right? So to me, those are the four kind of, those are the four table legs of a chef challenge technicality creativity flavor and execution is seasoning part of flavor yeah flavor is is seasoning okay i I buy that okay i buy that um as a construct those four main pillars of what makes a top chef a top chef or just a, a chef a good chef yeah but i just think that that is the thing ultimately you and i score it for brian they are going to, at the end, it, to the extent that they scored it the way we said, okay, now here's the bonus. We give the bonus to the most ambitious chef. And yeah. that was enough to put Michael over, right? They put, it, they put a premium it, on, an, on, yep. the, on the innovation, which I get. That's what Michael does. But, Kevin, I have it scored here. Nine, Brian Voltaggio. Eight, Kevin. And seven, Michael Voltaggio. I actually have Michael Voltaggio losing based on this arbitrary rubric here that I've made. And he comes out on top. I thought Brian Voltaggio deserved to be season six top chef. I did too. And it is interesting that not six months ago we were having the same conversation about Brian Voltaggio. Do you remember the Italian chefs yeah. saying you don't cook with soul? You don't cook with heart? Uh, this is a slightly different brand of critique because it's more like, well, you're a little too restrained. Your textures aren't – but it is the same thing. And I'm kind of with Brian on all these questions. I love – like like when I go to Orson Winston here in Los Angeles, like to me, it's a very Brian Baltagio-ish restaurant. Restraint to me is the key. I love Japanese cooking. And Japanese cooking is an exercise in restraint. And I'm with Brian in the sense that and look, it maybe it was the sign of the times, you know, because maybe it was 2009 and we're seeing all this, hey, beet raisins and, and all of a sudden texture becomes this thing. But I kind of feel for Brian Voltaggio here. I clearly love – look, and we'll talk about ink in a second when we do Where Are They Now, but don't get me wrong. I freaking love – that was my favorite meal in Los Angeles for a while is ink, Michael Voltaggio's restaurant. But I just think he gets screwed, Brian does, on this notion that – if your food is, you know, Baroque instead of symphonic, that all of a sudden you you don't have what it takes or you're not top chef material. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of bullshit. 
it's kind of like if LeBron James just drove to the rim and made the efficient bucket, but he doesn't get the style points of I'm going to cross it through my legs and do basically a Kobe Bryant fadeaway, highly difficult shot, and it goes in. Like I feel like the the smarter thing, and that's what Brian talked about, was I don't think this is uh, safe. I think this is just smart. Right. I think that's what we're getting at is – You know who Brian Valtaccio is, Tom? He's Tim Duncan. Right. Yes. Right. There's a All brilliance to Tim Duncan yeah. that it will get will win every time. And it doesn't have the style points, but it it's fucking really good basketball. And at right. the end of the day, if you want to have a great dish, you want a Tim Duncan to, to give you that dish. Sometimes you want a Kobe Bryant. You know, maybe you're in the mood for a Kobe Bryant type of uh, you know, chef. But to me, Brian Voltaggio should have won this. Um, because I think ultimately in this four course meal, he produced on aggregate the best meal. I mean, I look at this the, the tuna nuda casserole. Um, I know the mystery box he didn't nail. Um, the, the venison and the, and the dessert. Like, I just felt like him collectively, he deserved to win this. And uh, Toby Young, I. The whole restraint thing just kind of bothered me. Um, Gail got into it too, by the way. Gail got into it too. And so you, your two favorite people yeah. were uh, on the other side of the aisle for you on this one. Yeah. I mean, I, by the way, I don't know that I would always line up with Gail. I just love her delivery. I love the way she <laughs> – I love the way Gail talks about food is really what it comes down yeah. to. I, I could listen to Gail Simmons talk about food all day. I would love nothing. Too. Yeah. And when Gail is exuberant, there is nobody better conveying that exuberance and that's sort of why i'm a gail simmons person so brian voltaggio uh does not win he does not win the uh the quick fire throughout the entire season but i really thought that this season was about um those three contestants is kevin voltaggio brothers and you really got to see the contrast between the voltaggio brothers in that final episode um and you know jen carroll was also a rock star as well so i Final thoughts on this season, the chefs, um, before we get into where are they now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the moment that a great show kind of recognizes its greatness and then just works with confidence, right? Like, I think it's very common, and by the way, television dramas are like this as well, right? I mean, there was a moment when Vince Gilliam just realized what he had in Breaking Bad and just said, you know what, I can, I can take liberties. I can take I have enough equity with the network and the audience that I can just let it let it fly. Um I think you know I think Matthew Weiner did that with with um with Mad Men. You know, just at, the first season was a little more conventional as a workplace drama and then it just they flew. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this was that season for Top Chef where okay, we're going to play by our own like we're not going to c- conform to reality competition show conventions. We're just going to do our thing. And it was also just really fun to see chefs, particularly, you know, Brian and Kevin having just come off of season 17 to go back. It's almost like, you know, if you and I turned on a, uh, a Damian Lillard game from Weber state from seven, I mean, how much fun would that be <laughs> just to kind of watch that, right. To, to go back and watch LeBron. I mean, I, I mean, when's the last time you watched a LeBron 2004 game? I, I don't, put those on i mean i don't even know where i'd find them but i imagine you and i would have a really fun time for two hours watching lebron year two or year three 
And I think that to me was what was fun about this is to get to see chefs we know. And for that matter, Michael Montage, it was somebody who ate at Inc. all the freaking time, um, you know, to get to see him sort of developing Inc. essentially. I mean, these guys are essentially developing on this show what would come to be their signature style. So on that note, Brian Voltaggio did a concept at season 17 All-Stars called Thatcher and Rye, named after uh, his kids. And the concept did pretty well, didn't win. Um, That was Kevin and, and Gregory. But he has opened up his own restaurant in it, the place of his previous restaurant, Volt, that he closed down during the pandemic and then reopened as Thatcher and Rye. So that's pretty cool. Is he's he's moved away from Brian Voltage has moved away from like a expensive fifteen course meal that is basically like his opus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now in this climate, he has decided to create a neighborhood, more neighborhoody, taverny, like really good food um, in Thatcher and Rye. Uh, and let's do this, Tom. I'm going to read you the seven entrees currently on the menu at Thatcher and Rye. By the way, ain't so neighborhoody with entrees raging from 32 to 46, but okay. bless his heart, um, except for the two uh, smaller. Okay, I'm going to read you the, the seven. You tell me what you're ordering. I'm going to do it quickly because I don't want to be too tedious here. Uh, dried short ribs with a butterball potato puree. Oh, by the way, does that sound familiar? Butterball potato puree? Lifted from 2009, lifted from this episode. Arrow leaf spinach and confit of mushrooms. Number two, roasted chicken, brown rice congee, country ham gravy, Brussels sprouts, kimchi. Number three, this is your vegetarian option. I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to mention it because you ain't getting the vegetarian option, Tom Haverstrow. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, number three, uh, New York strip, butterball potatoes, arrow leaf spinach, again, and confit of mushrooms. So essentially the same accompaniments with the were with the short rib. Number five, a Virginia fluke, sunchokes, collard greens and kale, capers and lemon brown butter. Number six, halibut, and this is nice. Sungold tomato curry broth, smoked sweet potato, scallion condiment. Hell yeah. And, Keep going. And, and finally the burger with two year age cheddar, burger sauce, bacon and fries. So let's throw that one away too. I mean, I you know, you got five now. You got the short ribs chicken, New York strip, your fluke, and your halibut. I'm gonna go got? I'm gonna go with the halibut. That sounds really, really dynamite to me. And I know he's gonna cook that halibut just so perfectly. So I'm gonna yeah. go halibut, fluke, steak, short rib, chicken. Yeah, I'm gonna go halibut too. And I'll, and it, it, it's funny, one of the reasons I go halibut out a lot is I have tried to make halibut five different times in this house. And I'm over five. It is such a delicate fish. Mine is always so freaking bland and dry. Even when I try to undercook it, it is bland. When I don't undercook it, I overcook it. It is, and, and it is just blah. I mean, I think the worst meal I've made during quarantine, and we're still in quarantine for all practical purposes, was my halibut. It was awful. Mm. And I love to go out to a restaurant because only chefs know how to do it because I am, I've gotten good, man. But let me put it this way. If you send me on that Top Chef amateurs and the challenge is halibut, I'm fucked. <laughs> you're packing your knives. And I'm packing done. my knives, man. Um, we're going to do this for uh, Kevin Gillespie too. Um, so uh, tell us about Kevin Gillespie. Uh, so who I, I, yeah, Kevin's got um, his gun show, cold beer, revival, his staples still there. 
Um, but he has this interesting saber tooth dinner series coming out sa- Saturday, November 14th, where he's basically going to see what he can get in terms of wild, uh, wild meats or wild foraging uh, over the next two months and create a dinner series, outdoor dinner series, seasonal outdoor dinner series uh, called Sabretooth. Um, fucking love that idea. That sounds awesome. Oh, I awesome. love this idea. I'm actually going to his Facebook page. Uh, why is it giving me? I'm not logged in. And the hell with it. Um, but I do <laughs> see the Lisa. Yeah. So let's go to Gun Show real quick because I want you to – now, Gun Show is different. So they have more of a – you know, it's going to be harder because they got like 11 things. But I'll, I'll take out – you know what? I'll get rid of the two desserts and I'll okay. read you the eight small plates. Here we go. Alabama crab, confit parsnip, amazaki, and bernays. That's number one. Two, beef cheek pastrami with beans and a hoisin. Number three, eggplant, um, blue cheese villette, shermula, pickled peppers. Four, crispy chicken skin. Hello? Crispy chicken skin granola with muscadine jam. (laughs) Holy cow. Number five, crispy pork belly. Crispy pork belly, confit sweet potatoes, pickled red onion, and watermelon. Number six, and this is a dish I absolutely love, kimchi mussel pancake. With kaffir lime, leaf, mayo, and bonito. Seven is duck confit wontons with a pho broth, peanut, shrimp chip. And number eight, steelhead trout, braised greens, and apples. Can I order all of it? Well, you got – give me three. Okay. I'm going to go – what was that pho dish? That that sounded really that good. That was the duck confit wontons. All right. That's – I'm in there. I'm, I'm loving that one. Maybe not number one, but I'm loving that dish. The fried chicken granola, come on. I got to yep. order that. And then third, I'll go with, ooh. What was that last one again? Steelhead trout, braised greens. What do you go with with your third? You I got your with first two, and then only because it's a dish I just love whenever I get it is that I love those Korean pancakes. Like I, that is absolutely one of my favorite foods. It is such a guilty pleasure that fried scalliony with like with seep mussels or clam, whatever it is. Like I just love that dish, and I would love to eat Kevin Gillespie's interpretation of it. So good. I haven't I haven't been to Gun Show. You have, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's uh, kind of dim sum great. style. That's kind of how they do it. So, um, it's uh, you know, I, I imagined it for uh, the current pandemic it's a smaller menu usually i think it's about 14 15 or 16 but hell i I could get plenty busy with this you know you could give me any six and i'd be very happy yeah um i hope i hope all of those restaurants uh stay open and everything's good and that saber tooth if you're in atlanta area you gotta check that out it's november 14th um Michael Voltaggio, it, he's a little interesting here. So he wins the Top Chef season six. He hasn't come back on Top Chef, I don't believe, in any of his subsequent seasons. Um, but he opened one of your favorite L.A. restaurants. This was, to me, my favorite restaurant for about three years. I'll give you some of my highlights. The, his egg yolk gnocchi, and he often would do it with like, and you would love this. I think in, during the fall, he would do it with a mushroom brown butter and hit of the wood mushrooms. 
I honestly, I would get two because I needed my own. You remember those dishes where you're going out with a group and yeah, it's sharing, but to hell with it, I need my own. That's, yeah. I, and I, I don't do that very often, but I do it there. He had these kale lollipops with pig ears that were absolutely in like a <laughs> creme fresh dip. Like it was in, in a little spice in the togarashi. Wait, wait, he, wait. Walk me through that dish, please. It's like a dehydrated kale. Okay. Like, but on a stick, like it was the kale lollipops. And Wait, so it, it, it's, it's like it's like a ball of kale. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and dehydrate. Tom, you would absolutely love his beef tartare. He would. Um, it was just always so beautiful. Uh, he'd serve it with like rye toast. Uh, he also just had a lot of fish on the menu. There was always a smoked trout dish. I vaguely remember, and up top, and the salads at his places always were texture. Right, he did that kind of chewy gummy something you didn't expect like a bead or whatever it was like it was a genius restaurant it was just absolutely brilliant and my lynn of course becomes i believe um chef de cuisine at a certain point after a couple of years didn't miss a beat so a, truly one of my favorite top chef contestants ever the day that restaurant closed i cried like it was so good. Now, I will say the last six months or so, it kind of fell off. I had one mediocre meal, and you always worry. But like, ooh, is this, you know, what's going on behind closed doors, investors, chefs? I have no idea what did. But I'll tell you, I, I must have had nine epic meals there the first nine times out. And it was, I, I miss it. I, I look forward to Michael Montaggio opening up something in Los Angeles again one day because uh, I miss his cooking. Well, it turns out he's got a another restaurant, Estuary, um, that he has opened with his brother um, in D.C. Um, it is temporarily closed during the pandemic, but um, they, he also has a couple other little side projects going. But it sounds like to me Michael, Michael Voltaggio probably has something in the works, um, his own restaurant in the works somewhere. And if it's anything like Inc., uh, Everyone's going to be very happy about that. So yeah. I'll I give hope- you yep. one dish, Tom Haverster, I, I picked out for you uh, from, from Estuary. Shoot. I'm not going to do the whole damn thing. Lamb pastrami with charred cabbage and Russian dressing romesco. Oh, God. Can you believe it? Amazing. By the way, Russian dressing romesco is just the freaking most awesome <laughs> thing I've ever heard of. By the way, I bet their shrimp and grits with Cal- Carolina gold rice and sear butter is pretty good. I mean, we've oh. seen that before, but um, this is actually a great Maryland kind of restaurant here, a little crab roll. Um, we need, you know, I, I think Pack Your Knives needs to take like a culinary tour of America. That that would be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, if anyone's in Frederick or, uh, sorry, D.C. when that opens, please send that to me and put it in like an oven or something to keep it because uh, a, a lamb pastrami with uh, with the cat, I mean that's basically that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, yeah, our our buddy Tommy Shepard's got to get the Wizards back in action, so I get sent there every once in a while. And you and I John Wall, out. make sure that that Achilles heel is in good good form, so that we can. You, you uh, just can- that you just basically made a Freudian slip. What Achilles I say? tendon. Achilles heel is a metaphor for someone's like weakness. Oh yeah. So uh, his Achilles heels are abundant, and unfortunately, that contract <laughs> is one of them. But, his Achilles uh, tendon. No, please, I like John Wall. Uh, please, I just, please strengthen so you guys can be awesome at basketball, yeah. and, and uh, we can go watch basketball at, at, at uh, in D.C. and eat there. Mostly just to eat there. So 
Michael Voltaggio wins season six. He builds one of the best restaurants in America in Inc. Um, we're excited to see what he does next. Brian Voltaggio, you can find him at Thatcher and Ryan Frederick. Um, either it's open or it is opening. And uh, Kevin, love to have him back on the show soon, maybe to wrap up this season. Um, but Gun Show, Cold Beer Revival, and Saturday, November 14th, go check it out. Sabretooth Dinner Series. Um, yeah. I, I've got to get to Revival. Um, Kevin, if he's listening, got to get over to Decatur. I'm going to do it um, sometime when uh, we're all back online here and I'm actually traveling. I'm sad to see the season go, but there's one request that Kevin and I are going to have. Kevin, I think we got to do this again, but I want the listeners to choose which season of Top Chef we do a rewatch again. Do you have any candidates here that you were, as we're watching season six, you're like, you know what? I want to rewatch that season. Or are you going to leave it up to the whole, you don't want to, you don't want to influence the judges. Well, I'm going to let the people decide. Um, I am very partial to New Orleans. I just thought it was a great season. Um, you know, I thought it had a lot of, remember that was like the Nina Shirley. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it was the deepest um, Stephanie actually was in that season and kind of was a middling contestant, but I, I, I thought it was a fun season. Um, and actually, you know, uh, Nick Elmy is a uh, you know, Philadelphia guy. Um, yeah, that so would be a great I, season. I, yeah, I think it's a controversial finish on that one too. If I remember, yes, right. very controversial finish. And um, and actually, it's funny. I had reservations for Nina's place, but uh, that trip to New Orleans got canceled when uh, what you call it? Compelling. Yeah, COVID got hit, and I wasn't going to do that. I was going to meet the Sixers in New Orleans, but uh, I did not. Well, what you're going to do, folks listening to the show, and want to request us to re- re-watch a season, just hit us up on Twitter, at Pack Knives on Twitter, or Pack Your Knives on Instagram. Send us a message. Hit us up. We want to figure out what we're going to do and tackle in the next season of Pack Your Knives because I had so much fun going back and watching this season. It really did feel at times I forgot that I wasn't watching it live. Like I wasn't – this wasn't something that was in 2009. So I'd like to do it again. Yeah, we will. Closing thoughts? Let's do it again. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it again. Um, One last thing. I think we might do some interviews in the interim um, before that next season, but I think Eli and maybe Jen or Kevin will try to get some of the Voltagios. But basically, that is a wrap on season six, Top Chef rewatch on Pack Your Knives. I am going to miss doing this, but uh, until next time, Kevin, take us out. For Tom Haberstro, this is Kevin Ornaments, and this is Pack Your Knives. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. 
Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.